Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 281, and we are recording on May 11th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot and our workout soreness. We, <laughs> we did like just 10 talk. minutes before, <laughs> before we recorded. It's true. Well, I, I actually have an update that I think might be relevant to listeners. I watched a couple episodes of Ted Lasso last night. Ooh, everybody loves Ted Lasso. I can see the charm and the appeal. I can. It's interesting. It is It is very interesting. So now I'm like thinking more about, I still stand by our recommendations, but I'm going to be thinking yeah. more about it as I progress into the show. I marathon watched a terrible reality TV show on Netflix about pet influencers. Oh my. It is awful. <laughs> well, it's not. It's about pet influencers on social media but more so about the management company like the, the, the talent is that talent if it's a dog yeah. i don't know the, like talent management company the two women who own it and how they go out and find pe- not people parrots to, to represent or whatever <laughs> it i i don't know why i do this to myself why i only watch tv where i'm like i realize that this is awful and i can't look away it's like a train wreck yeah, I mean, there's a word for that, and it's schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, I'm never going to live in L.A. because this is... No. Yeah. They take the dog. See, this has nothing to do with books, but I have to tell y'all. It's called Pet Stars, if you want to feel my pain here. They take a dog to an intuitive healer and, like, have Reiki done on the dog, and I just... Okay, well, here's the part where <laughs> I mentioned that I am certified in Reiki levels one and two. I... Reiki on people is I'm totally here for, but like on a dog? Animals respond really well to body energy. That being said, it is always possible to take something too far. I'm not like I have not having seen the show. I'm not trying to defend anything. Mm, So question mark. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it was the packaging. It was like, this is the hippest pet thing in L.A. now. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, now I've thrown up in my mouth. (laughs) I can't undo that. (laughs) So that's what we're doing. Anyway, welcome. We're going to talk about books now. So how this show works is we rant about TV for a while, and then we answer reader questions about books. So if you need a personalized reading recommendation, you can send that to us via email at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put it in the show notes. There's a little form at the bottom you can use. We ask for your email address in case your question is time sensitive and we're not going to get to it on time, or if we've already answered your question on the show in one of our various and sundry episodes. If your question's time sensitive, put that in the subject line or if you're using the form just put it in big capital letters in the first line so we can see it um let's see we have a few pieces of feedback here from lauren for the person who wanted books set in hawaii i recommend molokai by alan bernert set in historical hawaii about a young girl who goes to kalapapa because she has leprosy feedback for tony nope tori sorry looking for books set in greece the moon spinners by mary stewart suspense novel with a touch of romance published in the 60s by an author who specialized in such 
A young woman books a holiday in an off-the-map village in Crete, but is swept up in intrigue when she crosses paths with an imperiled stranger. That sounds amazing. And then Hannah says, additional recommendations for the listener looking for read-alikes to The Witch's Heart, A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, which is the Trojan War and its aftermath told through the eyes of all the women involved. Closest thing to Madeline Miller book that I found. Second is a new book I haven't read yet, but I'm excited for Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. It's the myth of Ariadne of the Theseus and the Minotaur story, along with others, from her perspective. Okay, I'm going to read us our first question, and we will hear from our sponsor, and we will go. So question one is from Diane, who says, I adopted a senior cat not too long ago, and after many years of thinking I was a dog person, I've realized that in my heart of hearts, I am a cat person. I love that they have moods and can be a total sweetheart one moment and a complete butthead the next. Interjection. Have you tried Reiki? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Let me, I will say, Reiki is not going to fix cats being a butthead. I can verify verify that. Um, On your recommendation, I recently read Sabriel and really enjoyed it and hands down my favorite character was Mogget because of course it was. Can you recommend any other books in which a cat is one of the main characters, especially if they are a talking cat and they are kind of snarky or a smart aleck? Mimi Lee gets a clue is already on my TBR list, but any other recs in any genres are welcome. Okay, sponsor one. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen. Cats. Cats. So first of all, Diane, may I recommend that you search Book Riot and then books about cats in your Google search, like all is one thing, because we have so many posts about cats and books and you will have much fodder for many years. And then for my actual recommendation, 
I picked the Song of the Lioness Quartet by Tamara Pierce because Faithful, the cat, is an MVP character in these books. And while Faithful is not as, like, chaos-neutral as Mogget, I think they have a similar vibe and extremely snarky commentary for sure. This is another middle grade heading into YA territory, depending on which book you're on, series about a young woman named Alana who lives in a medieval-esque world. She wants to be a knight. Girls are not allowed to go to night school. And her brother wants to be a sorcerer, but they're sending him to night school and they're twins. So they look just enough alike that they switch places. He goes to he goes off to become a sorcerer. She goes to night school and has to pose as a boy the entire time. Hashtag things get complicated, uh, <laughs> but in like a very like PG sort of way. And it's such a fun series. And a, as part of her adventures, she does end up adopting a cat who turns out to be magical and talks to her all the time. She's the only one who can hear and understand Faithful. And he is just full of opinions. And this series is just a delight. I mean, I read them as a kid and then I have reread them since as an adult. And I think they stand up pretty well, actually. They're not exactly like super diverse. It's a very European uh, sort of model, although there are travels to other parts of this world that that get a little more inclusive as the series goes on. But I just I mean, it's it's just really fun. It's very sweet. And it's got the cat that you're looking for. So again, that is The Song of the Lioness Quartet by Tamara Pierce. The first book is called Alana, The First Adventure. Okay, I picked something kind of spooky for you. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comics. The first uh, collection is called The Crucible. This is by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, and the artist is Robert Hack. You may have seen the Netflix series that exists or watched it, which, you know, it's a reboot of uh, the Sabrina show from the 90s, which was very not this. (laughs) Like, it was very light, and Salem was a smart-alecky talking cat, but... You know, it was girl in high school has some tangential power sort of thing. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is like Satan, like just straight up very like evil and witchy. It's a more of your traditional witchy kind of horror stuff. It's set in the 60s, kind of Riverdale adjacent. If you're familiar with the Archie like Riverdale comics, Sabrina doesn't live in Riverdale. She lives in Greendale, which is close by. So some of there is some overlap between those character groups. Um, But other than that, it's the same basic setup. Like, she is a 16-year-old who discovers that she has supernatural powers, that her aunts are witches, that her cat is a familiar, that her boyfriend is a vanilla Mary Sue. Uh, That's the same in the show and in the comics. And then there's, like, you know, origin story stuff. There's a villain. There's a lot of... I like devilly worshipy questions. It's a more of a traditional kind of like Salem witch sort of vibe. Um, but you know, Salem the cat is still there, kind of the same, like smart alecky talking cat <laughs> who is here to assist you in all of your demon summoning, if that is a thing you require. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know your life. Anyway, so that's the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I am currently in the process of curating my book list for the summer. I just finished We Were Liars and am honestly devastated. I was entranced the whole way through. The setting, dialogue, and characters were vivid. The writing had an air of poetry that I loved. The plot was wildly intriguing, slowly unfolding piece by piece. I'm wanting something else like it. Other books I've read that I've enjoyed are The Mothers, Ask Again Yes, and Little Fires Everywhere. Please help me find something like this. 
All right, so I picked The Walls Around Us by Nova Rensuma, which is another YA book that I think like literally ticks every single box that you said. Mm-hmm. Setting dialogue and characters, writing, intriguing plot, slowly unfolding piece by piece. Like, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I will give a quick trigger warning for death by suicide and lots of body shaming because ballet. Uh, so this is about two, well, three young women. Two of them are dancers, Violet and Oriana, and they are part of this like very intense cutthroat, you know, teen ballet world. And then we switch perspectives to Amber, who is in the Aurora Hills Juvenile Detention Center. She works the library cart. She is, you know, struggling because she is locked up in a juvenile detention center. Like there's no mystery about why she's struggling. There is a lot of mystery about how these storylines fit together and what has happened and why it has happened. And it is, I just don't want to tell you that much about it because it is such a journey. And the writing really is so sort of surreal in certain places. It is deeply confusing in the most satisfying way, which I feel like is an experience I also had with We Were Liars. It was, it's just, you're just like, okay, I don't know what is going on, but I am here to find out. And it has so many twists and turns, and it's so well done, and the writing is gorgeous. I also, when I read this book, because Amber works the library cart, there were all of these book references that just, like, made me so happy as a reader Mm -hmm. to see these books popping up in there. I think I actually made, like, a giant list of all of the books that were mentioned in uh, Amber's sections. So if you, like, love books inside of books, that's also an additional nice bit. But I think this book is everything that you're looking for. Again, that is The Walls Around Us by Nova Rensuma. Okay, I got kind of stuck on the like teenagers with secrets sort of thing from We Are, We're Liars. I picked If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. I, this like titling I conceit of if, <laughs> if we were insert negative <laughs> noun. Um, if We Were Villains by M.L. Rio is about a college so it's you know they're a little bit older it's about a call a small like elite kind of liberal arts college about a boy named oliver and his friends who are studying shakespeare they're all actors oliver is kind of um like typecast all the characters are typecast but he is kind of typecast as like the second in command like the second guy he's never going to be the lead right um and there is a member of his group of friends who is always cast as the hero there is you know the temptress who's always cast as the temptress whatever they've like taken on these identities of the kind of roles that they get cast in and then taken them into their real lives and made them who they are in their actual friend group. When the book opens, Oliver has just served 10 years in prison for murder and he's getting out and the detective who put him behind, like put him in jail has come to see him on his last day in jail and is like, I'm retiring. I know that you are guilty, but I still don't understand exactly what happened that night that you were arrested. And like, I need you to tell me what actually happened. So the book is him, is Oliver explaining what how he ended up in jail and in doing that you know you eventually figure out like pretty fast which one of his friends is murdered and then who did it and whether or not it was oliver and why it was or was not oliver so there is a bit of the you know we were liars has like secrets on secrets on secrets and that is very much what if we were villains has the character who get well let me not that's kind of a spoiler i was going to give you some of my opinions about the character who gets murdered but then you're going to figure out who it is like almost immediately and i don't want you <laughs> to have to deal with that so i will say there's a trigger warning for domestic violence in this book and everyone is terrible like you 
You know, it's one of those, um, it gets compared to Secret History a lot. And I think it does have that in common where um, every character is just annoying in their very own special way, but you love it anyway. And like, you very much want to see what happens. It takes a real skill, I think, to write call- like self-obsessed intellectual college students who are annoying because there's no way to not be a self-obsessed intellectual without being annoying, but sympathetic at the same time. Like that's a hard needle to thread. And I think that ML Rio really, really does. So that's If We Were Villains by ML Rio. All right, question three is from Lauren, who says, I'm going to Michigan for vacation in July with my two best friends. Would love a book set there. We will be going to Mackinac Island and Frankenmuth in particular. If you know of any fiction or nonfiction books set in those areas or around, I'm aware of the movie and novel Somewhere in Time, as that is a large reason I'm going there. Okay, Jen, what you got? I have a pretty dark pick for you. So, you know, (laughs) heads up. (laughs) It's Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell, which comes with content warnings for violence against women and children, including rape. There is a lot of graphic violence and there's also drug abuse in this book. I read this back when it first came out and it made such an impact on me in part because of the setting, which is Michigan. The main character, Margot Crane, is 16 And she lives in a very, like, rural area of Michigan along the Stark River, which I tried to Google map to see if it was anywhere near the places you're going. And I don't know if me and Google were just having a disagreement, but I could not, for the life of me, find this river. On So maybe she made it up. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. But anyway, it is a very, like, Michigan-y journeys through backwoods Michigan-y book. So that's the setting piece of this. And there is a very intense, dark note for trigger warnings, which I already gave, uh, incident at the beginning of the book. And Margot ends up like getting into a boat and going off to find her vanished mother. She is a good shot with a rifle. She has one. She has a biography of Annie Oakley that she's like obsessed with. But this is not like a lackadaisical trip down the river. Like she is literally in fear of her life and struggling to figure out like how she's going to survive and why she can't go home and, you know, see what happens next. And it's a it's a real journey. And I thought it was so well done. You really like it's it's hard, but to me it was worth it. And Margot is such an amazing character. And the setting is such a huge part of this book. So Again, that is Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell. They actually made a movie out of this book, which I have not seen, but I will someday, hopefully. All right. I picked Snowed In by Rachel Hawthorne, which is a very sweet young adult contemporary romance. I mean sweet. I mean like baklava on a page, (laughs) you know, like just in the teeth, that kind of thing. So uh, it's about a girl named Ashley. Her last name is Snow. Snow. Um, she's 17. She lives in Texas. Her parents are recently divorced and she lives with her mom and her and her mom have decided decided to start over. So they're moving to a little island in the middle of Lake Michigan. Hello, Mackinac. You know, it is very icy <laughs> and snowy. It's snowbound. There are no cars allowed, only horse-drawn sleighs. There are only 30 kids in the high school. Like this is the vibe, right? And so she shows up. Her and her mom are going to open a bed and breakfast on this island. And the young son of the carpenter in town who comes to help make repairs uh, to the property turns out to be like smoking hot. His last name uh, is Winter. So (laughs) stop. (laughs) It's Ashley Snow, S-N-E-A-U-X and Josh Winter, W-Y-N-T-E-R. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's perfect. Except he has he's like super cute, right? But he has a girlfriend. Ooh, complicated. Hashtag. 
Um, the girlfriend is terrible. The girlfriend also doesn't really like him very much. But Ashley's like respecting the boundary. You know, she's going to be Josh's friend. She's not going to do anything ethically questionable here. But then things get a little hot, you know, like complicated in a high school sort of way. Um, there's a like island playboy who gets involved. Uh, Sub question. How do you become a playboy when there's only 30 people in your class? I don't know. I feel like that might make it easier to be a playboy. Right, that's a that's a great point. That's a great point. Like you're the one. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just very small town drama. But in a, you know, if you watch Sweet Magnolias on Netflix, which I loved, it's like that kind of small town drama. Like the drama is very low stakes. And Ashley, I like the way that this presents her her parents' divorce. Like it doesn't downplay how hard it can be, but it's also like she's kind of excited about moving to a new place and and having that kind of adventure with her mom, even if the new place doesn't allow cars. <laughs> Which I know places like that exist, right? And I think that actually is the rule on the on Mackinac Island that you can't have cars. Uh, but that just it just boggles my mind. So anyway, that's snowed in by Rachel Hawthorne. Well, I like that we went in two very opposite directions for that one. We did. We did. All right. So our next question is from Christy, who says, I'm looking for a book series for a seven-year-old who's really digging the Princess in Black and the Princess Pulverizer books. She's been toting them around like pirate booty. I'm pretty sure you guys have answered a similar question in the past, and I dug through about 20 past episodes but can't seem to find it. Any help would be much appreciated. Well, we always like an opportunity to talk about kids' books with feminist messages, right? So here we are. We're going to answer it again. I picked Giants Beware by Rafael Rosado and Jorge Aguirre and John Novak and Matthew Schenk because this is a kids graphic novel with lots of people involved. And this is the first in the Chronicles of Claudette series. And it is extremely adorable and extremely enjoyable. And what I love about this series is that it has like, you know, the like medieval fantasy quest trope trappings but the three main characters are it's just nice to see these different types represented so claudette as you will see if you look at the cover of this is our sword wielding daredevil of a little girl she is like her biggest desire in life is to slay a giant but her village is very safe and quiet so like what are you gonna do well you're gonna embark on a very secret quest because your parents cannot find out because they'll yell at you so like obviously you have to sneak off and find a giant to slay and with her goes Marie whose goal in life is to be a princess and like that is a totally legit choice for her and other kids make fun of her but like she sticks to her guns she knows who she wants to be there's nothing wrong with it and then Gaston is Claudette's brother who wants to be a pastry chef so you have these three kids who all want very different things in life all of their choices are valid and they're gonna go on quests together like it's amazing it's delightful it's that art is so fun it's just really enjoyable and sweet and there's a, like there's a lot of interesting representation in here too like one of the characters is physically disabled uh, and there are currently three books in the series so there are you know there's more than one which is always good so again that's giants beware which is the first in the chronicles of claudette series by rafael rosado and jorge aguirre I picked the Mia Mayhem series. The first book is Mia Mayhem is a Superhero. It's by Kara West and Lisa Hernandez. This is such a cute series. Mia is eight years old. 
she is of the, that genre of like accidentally causes trouble everywhere because she's clumsy and kind of a klutz and like spills stuff and all of that. But it turns out that she's actually a superhero. She gets a letter, a very Hogwarts style. She gets a letter in the mail that somehow got lost in the mail and is showing up a few years late, telling her that she's a superhero and that she is being invited to attend an after school program for in training superheroes. And if you shorten that, that is the pits, which is secretly <laughs> held in a warehouse next to her school, unbeknownst to her. In the process of doing her superhero training, she learns some secrets about her family, learns to control her powers. Because she got her acceptance letter late, she's a few years behind all the other kids who are in training. So she's got, you know, a little bit of that to deal with. And she just goes on a bunch of really fun and cool adventures. There's a lot of diversity in the series. Mia is black and there are disabled kids who are attending the superhero school. And it's just a lot of fun, like very kick butt. And as someone who frequently drops things and trips on everything and is very, very clumsy, seeing it presented in the like context of being a superpower the, and oh, and her, her parents' superpowers are really, really interesting and totally random. And I kind of love that. Like the whole series is just organized chaos. Like everybody's <laughs> super like powers don't make any sense. Everybody's dropping stuff. It's very real life. You know, if 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 superpowers were a real life thing, this is the kind of thing that it would be. Um, like there would be after school programs, you know, like who has, who runs the daycare for the kids who set stuff on fire on accident? Like Jack Jack. <laughs> it's great. So that's Mia Mayhem is a superhero by Kara West and Lisa Hernandez. Let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> 
Okay, next question is from Morellis, who says, my toddler is currently obsessed with dogs. She seeks them out on walks, wants to do all the doggy tours for our pups at home, etc. I'm looking for books featuring dogs to get for her. We have read most of the Good Dog Carl books, Pig the Pug, Skippy John Jones, and also a board book called Doggies. Do you have any other dog books that you think a 13-month-old would enjoy? I'm going to keep going, mostly because you mentioned Good Dog Carl, which is a series about Rottweilers, or a Rottweiler named Carl, which I love because I have a Rottweiler. And when I take him out in public, the number of times people call him Carl is 100%. <laughs> it's 100% of the times. Inevitably, someone's going to call him Carl. I love it so much. Okay. So um, I picked a book called Stormy. It's by Guo Jing. And it is great for toddlers because it's wordless. It's just pictures. And the illustrations are beautiful. And it's about a little puppy um, who is homeless. He like lives out in a park under a bench. And a woman visits the park and finds the dog. He's like scruffy. He's very anxious. He's too scared to let her come anywhere near. So she comes back every day with like a tennis ball and tries to get the dog to come to her. And through like just being really kind and patient and you know perseverance and the ball she gets him to come home with her and then there's a big storm the dog gets lost in and then it becomes a, like what's going to happen to the dog and this girl who has found him and is trying to give him a home and it's so sweet and since it's wordless it's really great for toddlers because they can intuit what's happening right like you see the emotions you see how sto- she uses a lot of color a lot of times to portray like how, how the dog is lonely or how the woman is getting frustrated or or all of that um and so with wordless picture books, you can really let the kid tell the story out loud, like they can narrate it and you don't have to worry about getting the words right. So it's very sweet and heartwarming and lovely. And you might, I don't know, your kid might try to bring home all the stories after this. <laughs> but it sounds like she's probably doing that now already. <laughs> so it would it be a difference. I don't know. So that's Stormy by Guo Jing. Amazing. I picked a picture book series that I used to love to hand sell back in the day when I was a bookseller. It is the Zorro and Mr. Bud series by Carter Goodrich. The first book is Say Hello to Zorro. And this is about two dogs. In the first one, the Mr. Bud is the the dog who lives, you know, with the people. And he has his routine. Like he has wake up time and nap time and dinner time. And everybody follows the schedule. And it's great. And then they bring home Zorro. And Zorro is like bossy and disrupts the routine. And Mr. Bud is very unhappy about this. But of course, then they find out that they have some things in common, like chasing the cat or taking naps. And they like find a way to, you know, be buds. And in future uh, installments, there's one where Zoro gets an outfit. He has to get dressed up for uh, like a Halloween parade. And it's, it's very intense for Zoro. Um, and then w- there's one where Mr. Butt has to wear a cone because he went to the vet. So, like, these are, they're, like, you know, related to situations that y'all might actually have going on at home. But they're so funny and sweet. And the illustrations are just gorgeous. And they're really fun read aloud. So I just love these books. And I think, you know, a toddler would also deeply enjoy them, especially because they do relate to things that your toddler will probably witness in relationship to the dogs that you have. So, again, that is the Zorro and Mr. Bud series by Carter Goodridge. All right. Our next question is from Margot, who says, I have a friend who grew up loving vampire books but doesn't read them anymore because the relationships are always problematic. Any recs for more recent vampire books that avoid or undermine the bad tropes, specifically creepy age differences, iffy coercion and consent issues, and lots of gaslighting and manipulation. Yes, those are the problems. Welcome. Those are. Uh, Editorializing here. Okay, the question continues. She really liked how those issues were handled in the Devabad series, and she also loves the Greta Helsing books, Good Omens, and Anything Witchy. 
Steampunk vibes, queer characters, and FF romance are always a plus. Well, Margot, do I have a book for your friend? <laughs> Let me introduce you both to Iron and Velvet by Alexis Hall, which is the first in the Kate Kane Paranormal Investigator series. And this book is clearly written both to acknowledge, make fun of, and subvert all of those tropes that you list. It's so satisfying. The main character, Kate, is, as you might guess from the series name, a paranormal investigator. And her backstory is that she had a vampire boyfriend as a teenager. She has, like, some, you know, special powers or whatever. And, like, it was all of those things. Like, he is basically a creep. And she eventually figures this out and breaks up with him and, like, goes on to have her own very, you know, strong, successful life. But he's still, like, following her around, being mopey and, like, I will love you forever. And she's like, oh, my God, just go away. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) In the meantime, she ends up getting a case from another vampire. And it is, like, a femme fatale vampire prince lady who is, like, super... Sexy, and you can imagine how things might progress. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a werewolf murder, and there's all of these different, you know, supernatural creature cabals having fights with each other about what's going on in London. There's like a weird nature demon thing. I mean, it's so much fun. It's a really like actiony, suspensey, magicy adventure set in modern day London, which is a super fun concept. But like the way that it interrogates all of those vampire tropes is just so satisfying. And it is queer and it is just like, it's a delight. So again, that's Iron and Velvet by Alexis Hall. Um, Okay. (laughs) I picked a ridiculous work of lesbian vampire erotica. It's ridiculous in every excellent way that you want a vampire novel to be ridiculous. I've discovered that like the way to get rid of the weird problems with vampire books is to take all the men out. <laughs> and then you don't, right? Like, because then there's not, anyway, no offense. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you want a less problematic vampire story, you want lesbians. That's what you want. So uh, it's Better Off Red by Rebecca Weatherspoon. And this is about a college freshman named Ginger, who is just uptight. Like she's straight A, you know, she's here to go to school and get a perfect GPA, doesn't, not interested in doing extracurriculars or whatever. But then she gets kind of, drawn in by the sorority called Alpha Beta Omega. And there's just like something about these girls that makes Ginger want to get involved. And then once she gets in, she discovers that like, oops, this is a vampire nest, because of course it is. And she falls head over heels for the queen of this vampire nest. And her name is Camilla, which I just love. And the like kind of ish, like the weird thing is that Camilla's supposed to be invisible to humans. So the fact that Ginger can see her is like a whole thing. Uh, And then, you know, you get this kind of storyline where they fall for each other. They're trying to figure out how to have this relationship. She also still wants to do well in school. And as the semester ends, she has, you know, she's, she has to protect her family from this, this like secret about of what her relationship is on so many levels. And also it's very steamy. Like this is, this is, it's a romance, not it's erotic romance, right? So like you are here for the steamy, the steamy, 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 steamy times of steaminess. And <laughs> I'm going to stop saying the word steamy because it is very steamy. So it's so steamy. In fact, it is. at some point you're like, come on. <laughs> like this is a bit, but you're into it, right? Like I'm totally here for it. So um, yeah, so that's Better Off Red by Rebecca Weatherspoon. You're welcome. <laughs> I gotta stop talking. <laughs> I'm like blushing. Like there is blood in my face that was <laughs> it's i it's a, it is a five alarm steam read yes! there's no doubt there's and no ridiculous doubt. it's mm-hmm. so ridiculous i love it so much okay so ashley has 
our last question. I've been looking for books specifically on internalized misogyny and racism to help my family understand how they've absorbed harmful ideas and are not immune to perpetrating white supremacy, anti-blackness, and sexism. We're a Hispanic family, but I can tell some of my family members don't quite understand how entrenched they are in white supremacist beliefs. I haven't seen anything just yet on this particular topic in books about race, so if anyone has any suggestions, I'd be grateful. Okay, Jen, what you got? Yeah, so Ashley, I have heard from other folks um, in my community who are Hispanic, Latinx, that this is like a real need. And I'm hoping that a book specifically about this is like, there's got to be one being written and or on its way to being published. I can't imagine because, you know, there are communities of color that that need these kinds of books. Uh, But as far as I am aware, it has not been published yet. So I'm offering you the next best thing, I think, which is Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Saad. And Saad is a Black British woman who is writing from the perspective of she has experienced uh, race relations in America, but she's also lived internationally for most of her life. So she has a sort of different take on how white supremacy manifests is not limited to or focused on what we experience here in America. But what this is, is a workbook that's based on an Instagram challenge she started uh, back in the day that like ended up going viral. And what's so useful about this is because it is a workbook and because she often addresses non-Black folks of color, it really helps to dig into these internalized beliefs that are hard to uncover without help and framework and like the vocabulary. So this really is like a breaking down step by step. Here's some questions to consider. Here are some definitions. Here is a framework for asking yourself these very important questions about how you might be participating in white supremacist structures. And she offers a lot of anecdotes and personal stories to help illustrate these things. And, you know, you know your family. You know how willing or unwilling they might be to undertake this kind of work. But at the very least, I feel like it might give you some language and some frameworks and questions to ask them. Like if you think they would be open to discussing specifics with you and you, this will give you uh, a starting place and, you know, some very specific tools to have those conversations. Or, you know, maybe they're open to doing some work and you could talk about the specifics of the book with them in that way. So again, that's Me and White Supremacy by Leila F. Saad. I took the sexism angle of this question and I picked For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. And this is a great book for giving to people who think that they aren't involved in sexism or don't necessarily think that sexism is a thing or like, the you know, if you said the word toxic masculinity at them, they'd punch you like that kind of like doubtful kind of thing. And I like this book because it is about the effects that toxic masculinity has on men. We talk so much in like I don't know, the cold, the current cultural conversation about how toxic masculinity is terrible for women because it is. But it's also really, really bad for men. And we don't want to ignore that part of the conversation, especially if we want to get men involved in updating our cultural lens. And so she's talking about the ways in which traditional masculinity and the ways that we teach boys to be quote unquote masculine is full of garbage. <laughs> and it's full of garbage. It's actually very bad for that child. And it raises them to be men who don't know how to handle their emotions. And, you know, there are all the statistics that she gives that supports this most most mass shooters are men. Men who join fraternities are 300% more likely to be rapists than men who are not in fraternities. Stuff like that. Like, it's just that men who get involved in cultures or um, groups where masculinity is the main value 
end up usually more, you know, or frequently, maybe usually is too strong, frequently end up being criminals because we are teaching masculinity in such a harmful and horrible way. And, you know, men have a really, have really high suicide rates. Like it's just a masculinity as we teach it right now is terrible for men. So I think that this is a nice wedge book because it's not coming in being like, oh, men are awful. Men are the worst. Men are bad for women, blah, 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 blah. Um, It's coming in from a much more honest and mindful argument that men are great. All humans are great, right? But the way that we require men to behave in order to be accepted members of society is really, really bad for them. And if we change that and just let men behave like human beings with feelings in the world, then we could get rid of a lot of these really harmful stereotypes that men themselves don't even really like. Like, who wants to be pressured to be a breadwinner all the time? Who wants to be in charge of being the romantic pursuer all the time? Not all men really like that, you know? And not and not all women like being with men like that. And so it's a lot of pressure that would be removed from men that they themselves don't even really enjoy. So that's For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. And that's it. That's our show. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find more book recommendations at bookriot.com and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash, slash listen. There's something truly for every every kind of reader. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And I am on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week.